feel the noise. That's it. You get it. That's it. That's all I know. Tom, keep this as the intro, and we'll start the episode now. Welcome (laughs) to Bad Movie Brunch, episode four, with me, Luke, Uh, here in Chicago. And me, Katie, here in Los Angeles. I started noticing that as I was listening back to our stuff that I say the episode title, like number or the week. Like after a while, we're just going to have to stop doing that. (laughs) It's going to get so redundant. Welcome to week 367 of Bad Movie (laughs) Brunch. Oh, that's lonely. Cool. Katie, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Rock of Ages. So uh, I'm very lucky in that my folks are like the yin and yang when it comes to movie reviews. My mom says that life is too short for bad movies, so she reads reviews. My mom's time is limited, so she wants to make sure that she not only gives her time to good movies, but also that she's aware of hidden indie or foreign gems that may not be well marketed. Whereas my old man it, like, does not believe in reviews at all. He's really impulsive and mo- way more likely to see something because it just seems fun. So uh, this movie came out in two- 2012, and I was home from undergrad, and my old, ma- my old man and I went to go see a movie because that's what we do. And we just figured that we'd see whatever was playing next. And then we see on the, mar- like the marquee, Rock of Ages. And we've never heard of this movie, but we look at each other and we say, uh, we like rock and roll. And that was it. <laughs> so it, it really was. What like else could it be about? Yeah, what else could it be about? So the movie starts up. And it's pretty normal for, like, maybe the first 30 seconds or so. And then you are on a Greyhound bus, and you see this girl, and she's singing to herself. And, like, that's pretty normal. But then the entire bus starts singing Sister Christian. (laughs) And my old man just turns to me, and he's, like, got that quiet rage going on. And he goes, you tricked me into seeing a musical. (laughs) That is, I'm I'm so glad to hear that that is resoundingly the moment that gives people like that is the uh, that is the oh shit bar of like this mo- <laughs> this this movie to be like oh what did we do because when I turned it on last night not having much of an idea of what to expect I was watching and I was taking notes and I was keeping along I'm like all right and we're on the Greyhound bus and then like when it starts Sister Christian I was like oh, okay. I knew it was a musical. I'm cool with musicals. And then, like, everybody, like, nonchalantly on the bus. And that was the minute I paused it. I went to the fridge and cracked a beer. And I was like, well, this is what this is going to be. <laughs> Yay! And I think... Uh, it is... Go ahead. It is beautiful. It is definitely... It is a movie. It is a movie <laughs> that we watched. <laughs> so... I guess if I were to vaguely like summarize this movie, it is sort of like an R-rated episode of Glee. Uh, oh, absolutely! Like, is that the perfect pitch? Like, am I a genius right now? <laughs> It'd be like, hey man, you know how like uh, the movie version of Hairspray went really well? What if we did that again, but dirty? Yeah, uh, and dirty it was. It also struck <laughs> me as sort of like a companion piece to La La Land, in that. <laughs> Like you know what I mean? Like with the with the the kid going to the big city in LA, and then there's the guy who's already there trying to make it and find his sound, mm-hmm. and then they get together, and then he ends up selling out, and they have a falling out. I'm like, this would have been a tight double feature. <laughs> um, it would have been. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about I, that. It, it struck me halfway through, but you know, I don't know if everybody's thinking about La La Land 24/7 like I am. <laughs> Every now and then, I'll just like 
stare off into the middle distance and think of me and Sebastian's theme and tears start streaming down my face. Are beautiful, you, beautiful. Are you a Tom Cruise fan? Because this is, uh, oh. even if he's not in the entire thing, this is, I would say this is Tom Cruise's movie, right? Okay, yes. So my whole, one of my pitches to people when I'm trying to explain this movie is that, like, I get it. Tom Cruise is crazy, and he hasn't been in the public eye for good reason because he just can't hold it together, and he makes a lot of boring action films. But every once in a while, somebody will, like, pitch him some sort of, like, weird character that he's never done before. And he did it once with Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder. That is, that was, and I would say that yeah. if you, yeah, if you like his performance in Tropic Thunder, I would 1000% recommend this because instead of being like a pot bellied producer, <laughs> he's this slithery slinky rock God who is, uh, I, I would say on drugs for the entire movie. If he's not on drugs, like I, I like how he came across to me was either on drugs or he's that person who never does drugs and his brain is just fucked. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely boozing yeah. a bunch like that we see, but like I think he's just on a weird spiritual plane. <laughs> yeah. I've oh, never, Tom Cruise. I've never been able to resonate with Tom Cruise. I've never really been a fan. Uh, I, I guess I like Top Gun for what it is. And uh, he's kind of just very much like our daddy's generation of like – hero and like movie star uh even so this morning i came downtown because i thought we were recording this a lot earlier at like 10 a.m and i was wrong yeah. and so i'm sitting in downtown chicago <laughs> and i'm like what the f- what the fuck am i gonna do so i went over to river east and saw avengers for the third time and uh it, it, one of the one of the which is by, by the way avengers fucking rocks everybody and that's all i'll say because thanos demands our silence but it is it is phenomenal uh there was a trail that with one of the first trailers was for mission impossible like 18 and yeah. uh, and it, like first of all, Mike Cavill's mustache very tight. <laughs> That's the mustache that helped, you know, make Justice League so phenomenal. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I see Tom Cruise, and I'm like, oh no! Suddenly, I will only see Stacy Jacks. <laughs> like I, I don't yeah. know. Like that he's he's now that's all he is to me. Uh, and Alec Baldwin was in that trailer too, and I'm like, ooh, Rock of Ages reunion. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> Stacy oh, Jacks, man. man. Like, I'm such a goon that if they ever did make a sequel of this movie, I would see it, like, five times. I'd be like, sure, sure, take my money to, to see this again. Um, uh, but, yeah, he and, and it's interesting, Tom Cruise's involvement in this movie, because uh, I, I was reading something that Alan Shankman, the director, was saying about making this film. And Tom Cruise has always wanted to do a musical, apparently, but he was always, he, he didn't know if he could pull it off. But he, he was really into doing this particular project, which I think is just beautiful. And he, But he said to Alan Shankman, he's like, hey, man, I would love to do this, but this guy needs to connect with somebody at the end of this movie because it, this is based off of a Broadway play. And at the end of the Broadway play, Stacey Jacks, the big rock star, the Axl Rose of this whole thing, right. he flees the country for statutory rape. Is that – wait, in, in the context of the film – no, no, no. In the context of the original Broadway play. Okay, I'm like, off. holy shit. Did I miss the movie? I was like, what? <laughs> I do not remember that. No. I, I remember very sexually charged, uncomfortable like numbers with him and Constance, the Rolling Stones uh, reporter. Oh, yeah. We'll Rolling Stone reporter, we, not we, Rolling we will, Stones. We will break that down. Okay, cool. But, but yeah, so... Oh, sorry. No, no. Don't be. Oh, so uh, Tom Cruise basically was saying to Alan Shankman, like, hey, man, I want to do this character. I thought I'm going to give it 110%, which everybody does in this movie. But 
he needs to have an happy ending. And there are so many happy endings that happen in this movie that are kind of surprising and weird, but also kind of like, uh, this, like, like th- there's only, you can't be so goofy and then suddenly get dark at the end of this film. So I totally get it. That's true. That would have But yeah, he gets a happy ending in this one. And it was all Tom Cruise, which I think is really fascinating that an actor <laughs> could just go up to a director and be like, you know, this thing that was already written, let's not make it end that way. And speaking of influences on the film, as as I'm like, you know, drinking my beer and like, you know, psyching myself up for what this adventure is about to be, uh, I see produced by Tobey Maguire. Did you catch that? Oh, yeah. Spider-Man produced this movie. The Spider-Man saved every one of us <laughs> with, with <laughs> Rock of Ages. <laughs> okay. So wh- wh- what do we do first, Katie? This movie. Fuck this movie, man. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. So this movie is stopped. I was trying to break down all of the plots that happen, and I would say that there's probably four that happen and none of them are done well, and each of them also have other side plots. So let's just, okay, so the year is 1987. Yes. Sherry Christian is, of course, uh, yeah, I know. Her name is Sherry Christian. She is a small-town girl, or from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and she arrives in Los Angeles with big dreams about being a singer with nothing to her name but a suitcase full of <laughs> records. Aww. And right when she gets off the bus, at, and there's, of course, musical numbers while this is all going on. Lots of those. And uh, prostitutes are singing about how she's going to be a prostitute, and guys are checking her out, but she's like, all like, I'm an ingenue, and I'm all innocent. But then a guy steals her records, which is all she can't, like, no clothes, $17, just records so she's not the best at planning but thankfully this other guy drew who's working at this legendary los angeles club which is based off it's called the bourbon room in the movie but it's based off of the whiskey a go-go in real life los angeles Mm, so he sees her and he sees that she's cute and in need of some help so he's like hey come be a waitress at my job and that totally works out and we're hitting the ground running with the two of them they're a little neat, cute, and they uh, very quickly build a romance and, and connection from their shared rock and roll dream. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, she has the whole very cliche welcome to Hollywood moment. And that's not L.A., right? That's like the soundstagiest L.A. I've ever seen. Am I crazy? Um, <laughs> it, it Everybody's really, every, I don't because again i wasn't around during 1987 but i would say los angeles now is like even scarier oh it's way scarier but i'm talking like filming location wise like that was like not they didn't really film in la did they oh i i don't think so it looked very fake (laughs) it looked like there there were certain shots like the um like the church where you see like wilshire boulevard and stuff like that i think there's some exteriors right But, but i agree on the whole it's probably not los angeles Inaccuracies aside, when I went to Los Angeles for the, those four months, I was immediately regaled with a song about how I was going to become a prostitute. <laughs> so it, it was accurate in that regard. Like LA, it, LA is filled, is lined with, uh, you know, whores on the street <laughs> singing about yeah, my, my potential just... destiny. <laughs> oh man! And like, if that if that's your idea of planted payoff, like you know, this movie is off to a very interesting start well written well written flick guys (laughs) she's sort of the hero we follow through the movie like it's through her eyes that we take on like the la experience sort of but here's the problem 
Uh, well, obviously there are many problems with this movie, but but one of the main problems I have with this movie is that Sherry comes, like she makes the decision to come to Los Angeles to become a singer. Right. During the course of this movie, we see nothing of her trying to achieve that goal. That's true. <laughs> She's very much like, <laughs> well, she like she kind of gets in good at the bourbon room or whatever the fuck and uh, meets her boy, Drew. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I got he, he definitely scoops her the job as a bar back. And so that's the start of like getting in good with a with like a sort of rock and roll haven. But then, yeah, after that, it definitely stalls and it becomes very much about like her relationship with him and his success. And uh, meanwhile, we have Russell Brand and Alec Baldwin desperately trying to save uh, their their bourbon room from going extinct because they can't pay fucking taxes. Uh, Russell Brand. Just give me one second here. Is so fucking funny <laughs> in this movie. Like, I've I used to watch like when Forgetting Sarah Marshall first came out. I didn't know who Russell Brand was until that movie, and mm-hmm. I went on to watch that movie hundreds of times. And the, anything that guy said, he has the most natural like delivery of of jokes and stuff that I've like maybe ever seen. He's so fucking effortlessly funny. That dude, anything he says is so hilarious. And I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a basic bitch, and it's just the way he says things in an accent is funny. Uh, that could be it, <laughs> but especially in this with this big stupid black wig, <laughs> uh, every everything like oh, yeah, he has the like wigs are awful. And lots of and there's a lot of lines that are funny, and I'll kind of like go back through a few. But like the first like sort of like moment where I'm like, okay, I can watch this is when Russell Brand appears, and they decide. The whole existence of the of the bourbon like not shutting down is if Stacy Jacks plays a show here and you know sells out and everything else and he's like our whole existence is riding on Stacy Jackson. <laughs> uh, Russell Brand's like the most unreliable man in the music industry, a man who blew off blew off the halftime show at the Super Bowl to attend a satanic ritual to sew up Devi Harry's vagina. <laughs> and I was like. Okay, like awesome joke. Don't know if you improved it, but now I'm locked in. Bring on two hours and three minutes of fucking <laughs> 80s medleys. Yep, this movie is so long. It's and, so uh, long. The, the, the interesting thing about Lonnie, Russell Brand's character, is that in the original Broadway play, he's actually the narrator. I would have dug that. I could have used that. Oh, uh, you think so? That would have been, li- been a life raft for me <laughs> to make it through. <laughs> but you know, one thing I love about, one thing I do love about you and cherish about our friendship, Katie, is you get me to try things that I wouldn't normally try. <laughs> and you get me to step yeah. out of my comfort zone. And I feel like that's going to be a th- an ongoing theme of this podcast where I have to watch a movie I don't want to. And I have to <laughs> learn to <laughs> enjoy it <laughs> or hate it and explain <laughs> why I hate it. <laughs> like, hey, you know what? Uh, Audience, I wouldn't have tried pho if it wasn't for Katie. And that that shit is fucking dank. <laughs> I love pho. Oh, pho is the best. I think I'll have pho today. Eat pho but, today. But yeah, uh, getting back to this. So <laughs> we're mentioning that Dennis and Lonnie um, are trying to... Yeah, that, that everything's writing on Stacey Jacks, so it, who is played by Tom Cruise, as we mentioned, who's like this detached, self-indulgent rock star. And he's preparing for his final gig with his band, Arsenal. And I'm pretty sure... But he is supposed to be Axl Rose, and the band is supposed to be Guns N' Roses. I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure that's the comparison that they're making. Yeah, I got that. And so everybody's preparing for this upcoming concert. And it's... Oh, sorry. uh, They're just hoping that it'll save everything. And meanwhile, we also... Well, this is... So we have that... We have the first plot with uh, Sherry and Drew 
The second plot with uh, Dennis, Lonnie, and Stacy trying to save the bourbon room. And the third plot, which is the mayor's wife. Yeah, okay, cool. Is there cool. anything you want to say about that? Yeah, there's quite a bit I want to say about it. <laughs> so uh, once we're introduced to like pretty much everything you'd expect, then we also get like the sort of footloose storyline of the politicians that are like, no rock and roll and yada yada. And we've got Mike Whitmore, which is... Uh, is uh, help me out here brian cranston brian cranston yeah brian mm-hmm. cranston and then his wife patricia and uh you kind of get the vibe that, so he's he's running he's running for mayor or is mayor of los angeles and uh his campaign is basically being like led by his wife patricia who's staunchly against rock and roll and thinks it's the devil's music and only sex and sin comes from it and she gets a rally going to like you know get gather the the churchgoers of los angeles if there are any and uh, sort of stop this thing from happening, stop rock and roll from happening, kill rock and roll, don't let the Stacey Jack show happen at the Bourbon. Uh, Mike Whitmore, which is Brian Cranston as the mayor, is effectively just like a figurehead. Like, you know what I mean? He's kind of yeah. just a yes man to his like very overbearing wife, which is not, you know, I guess it goes right in line with like the consistent poor portrayal of females in this film. Uh, especially yeah. when that pays off a little later, Brutal. we can wait to get to that. Uh, I I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I I think it's hilarious. I think uh, their dynamic uh, is very funny as a couple, but it's not uh, super socially conscious, to say the least. No, and it, they also did this weird thing where so in the the original play again, the the whole thing was that the mayor was being bought off. To, it, we didn't have this plot at all. This plot did not exist in the original. Okay. So instead of the mayor's wife, she 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 wasn't in it. It was the mayor sold the Sunset Strip to German developers. Okay. And God, I uh like my last name is the most German thing about me, and the portrayal of the German developers in the original musical is like weirdly offensive to me. I'm like, ah, oh, too far, you guys. Like, hmm. And um, so you have the German developers, and they're against this gal named Regina. Not Regina, Regina. Perfect. And one of the German developers falls in love with Regina, and then they just decide (laughs) not to destroy the strip. So don't worry. It was even more stupid in the original musical. I would say this is even slightly better. It's at least somewhat uh, entertaining, even though it's totally useless, and we didn't need it. And if we cut it out, we could have had a shorter movie. Not everything needs to be a save the neighborhood kind of plot. No. Additionally, I don't understand why we have this obsession in our culture with making conservatives really into BDSM. Yeah, that is definitely. A th- I think it's. I think it's just because they're polar opposites, right? And like, kind mm-hmm. of the the theory is if somebody is this like adamant about their tightly laced lifestyle and shoving it down everybody's throat, that probably means they're using that to mask. Uh, not always sadomasochism, but uh, mask some sort of desire. Uh, and that definitely appears to be the case in this movie, particularly with Patricia Whitmore. Because <laughs> she's and got Brian some. Cranston's character. And um, Brian Cranston. He, yeah, he, he's having an affair with his secretary, which goes nowhere. But she, during a number of, okay, so as Patricia Whitmore is rousing up these churchgoers, as you mentioned, it's all done to hit me with your best shot. Yeah, fantastic. So there are all these scenes of, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones dancing in this Reagan-era outfit with a bunch of <laughs> other Reaganites. 
and you pan to like this church room in the distance where Brian Cranston is getting spanked by his secretary. Oh yeah. Okay. You know what? I forgot about him getting spanked. It's all coming back to me yep. and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre. And she like ties his wrists together with rosary beads. Oh uh, yeah. They really went for it. You know what? It, just like you had a, a, a parental story of like going to see this movie. I remember when my mom and dad and sister went to this movie <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm from very Catholic stock and uh, my dad's into musicals. He likes them. And that's kind of the similar, like we like rock and roll. And I remember them going, mm-hmm. and then I remember them coming back from it because I didn't attend. <laughs> and they didn't like this movie, Katie. Um, they didn't like this movie. <laughs> and that was probably, I, I, like, the first, like, thing. Like, ooh, wrists bound together with rosary beads while being given a spanking. Like, well, that is not going to sit well with the Catholic Church. <laughs> no, not at all. And it it, is, it does make me feel icky, and it also is just... I get that it's supposed to be funny. I just feel like if you're going to have Brian Cranston, he was underutilized. Mm-hmm. And even same thing with, really although was. Catherine Zeta-Jones really brings it with the, the evil in this movie. Yeah. And I just, if we were going to do it, I just wanted more of it. A formidable villain. Exactly. To be sure. The Lex Luthor of this movie. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so... So while while all that's going on and like we're getting Stacy Jacks to come play the show, we we get introduced to him finally. And when we do, it is just like like I said, this movie, when it's focusing on what it is at its core, which in my opinion is actually just like a straight up R-rated comedy that happens to have music. Mm-hmm. You know, like the stuff the stuff that's being said and like the stuff that's uh, being written and I assume being altered. Like there's probably like ten jokes for every line in this, and. Uh, <laughs> we we have a uh, we meet Stacy's manager Paul Giamatti who's just Paul Gill in this basically the same thing yeah. and which I don't know if that's from the original musical or not but uh one of these like lackeys comes out from like Stacy's dressing room is like come on we got to get Stacy and he's like Stacy told me to turn off the radio and he's like so turn it off and he's like the radio in his head <laughs> And like the like he goes in uh and sees uh Stacy Jacks all laid out all bizarre as shit and stuff like that he's like hey man we need you on stage and he's like I am on a stage Paul and just like stands and like passes out drunk into like a weird pool of water that he has in his dressing room. <laughs> also, that scene be- begins when he's like going to go see Stacy. So Tom, we, you see the first time you see Tom Cruise, there's like four different groupies that are laying on his naked chest. Yes, and he gets up and he's wearing an intensely, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, uh, intensely creative intensely uh ornate i was okay ornate he's wearing an intensely mm-hmm. ornate cod piece good descriptor and he and then he falls into the thing but, but like you you see the cod piece your mind is Im- immediately drawn to his crotch yeah and i am on stage pool it's it's a <laughs> i do think it's a great character introduction but it, it's just like all right strap in this is the character you're gonna have to follow for the duration of this movie and he's wearing like yeah he's definitely wearing like he's dressed like a shirtless cowboy sort of like he's got like those like chaps on like those leather like chaps and then like you're right like it looks like he's wearing like a leather diaper or something Mm -hmm. underneath and then he's got like all these weird tattoos and one of them is like a gun like tattooed to like his pelvis so it looks like it's holstered (laughs) like, like underneath and shit like that 
So it's so over the top. It's very over the top, and but like you know what? That's the sort of thing that'll get me to buy in, and I think it'll get the like casual movie goer who ends up having to watch this because their friend made them, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> like that'll get them to be like, well, we only have an hour forty left. <laughs> so and also, there's a lot of like so when we get back, so Stacy comes and plays the show, right? Uh, and everybody's like yeah. sort of rallying against him, but like when we settle back with the the Stacy and Drew storyline and they talk about their respective like backgrounds. Sherry. I'm sorry. Sherry and Drew. Sherry, sorry. They're similar names in this. Did I say Stacy? Yeah. yeah. Stacy Jacks. No, that's not that's <laughs> not the gay that's not the gay subplot. We have that later on and we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> so Sherry and Drew are talking about their respective like backgrounds and parents and stuff. And his whole thing is like, I want to be a singer, but I get stage fright. And uh he resists like she's like, hey you know, we could, you could sing me a song right here and now. And he's like, no, no, I can't do that. Even though they just sang a song together in the context of the musical. So here's where I get confused. The weird boundaries of reality in musicals is so fucked up already. But this guy, like, this guy can't sing and has stage fright, even though they just sang a song. So where's the line? So if we're singing, if we're singing a plucky 80s song together, uh, away from the world and the world's joining in or whatever, then that's, that's not really happening and the reality of it is no but this is my character in the real world i just never really <laughs> it's i know i'm being a, a wet blanket but it's hard for me to like jump back and forth sometimes between these like weird worlds i don't know why and then when he finally does write up he's he, this fucker starts playing a song he's like yeah i wrote this song and it's don't stop believing so i'm like <laughs> all right so am i to understand that in the context of the rock of ages world don't stop believing was originally written by drew the bar back at the bourbon and then and later plagiarized by journey or <laughs> just help me out here am i here's what's up am i just overthinking the whole thing and i should shut up <laughs> or, or like oh, no, 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 no. it's a billion times doesn't make any sense also i don't understand why they would mention that drew has stage fright and then he quickly gets over it it makes no sense why create a conflict if you're not even going to deal with it this will engage the audience we'll confuse the <laughs> shit out of them <laughs> but so and then, so while that's all going on, they have their little romance, and they start actually dating, and they have a montage on the Sunset Strip, or not on the Sunset Strip, on the boardwalk, and uh, all that. And it's really cute, and they're sleeping together, and it's fun, and da 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 So then the night of the show, or as, as they get closer, he... Uh, oh, gosh, I just got confused about the timeline of this movie. So Yeah, yeah. Man, <laughs> well, cause, okay, don't get confused because there's two Stacey Jack shows because the way this movie's structured okay, is okay. fucking bizarre because when you get 30 minutes in, it's like it seems like the movie's about to be over and I'm like, oh, nice, because it seems like it's all building toward this one Stacey Jack show, but that's just the first 30 yeah. minutes. So like when, when Stacey Jack shows up to play the first one with his monkey in hand, like holding hands with his monkey, <laughs> who's, hey man, his, yeah. his monkey's name Hey Man, which is like, I had to turn on subtitles because there's just stuff, there was stuff I wasn't getting in this movie. And when they started calling... Calling the monkey hey man i was i was in like tears because like at that point at that point like the beers were flowing and i was like i love this movie <laughs> and i'm like oh man i want to change the name of both my cats to hey man just to make my life a lot easier <laughs> sorry bug and willoughby your name's hey man now uh, he schedules, uh, the, the manager paul gale schedules a <laughs> Hey man.
Katie, be a professional. <laughs> We're not even through the first act of this movie. I know. I'm so sorry. Who is? I mean, let's be honest. All, let's just have fun because all of our listeners have tuned out at this point. It's, <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's so hard because this movie, I don't even understand. Like, like I feel like the first act is the first hour. Yeah, that's yeah. You're not wrong. We can we can just we can glaze over a lot. Basically, Stacy Jacks comes, plays that first show. It goes really well, but then Stacy Jacks, dickhead of a manager, Paul Giamatti, is like, "Well, you're forgetting Stacy's cut. This isn't going to save the bourbon because we he needs like an obscene amount of money." And he's like, "Yeah, Stacy's taking a real loss on this." So when we think is all is well in the first like half hour, really that's just kind of like setting up the whole movie where the bourbon's really out of money now, and that's sort of like is the whole context of we don't have money and now the place is going to close and we're even more of a debt because Stacy Jacks just took a huge chunk of the profit we made uh, with him playing the show that we thought was going to save the place and that's also used uh, that's used to arm the rally against uh, the bourbon by Patricia Whitmore who's like hey these fuckers haven't paid their taxes in a year we're going to shut this place down and rock and roll is going to be dead forever does that help does that help glide us along a little bit so. And Paul Giamatti also in that in that time while he's fucking over Alec Baldwin and his establishment is also like I'm gonna steal your bar back because I see talent in him and also kind of takes him along too Drew Sherry's man mm-hmm. and that's where we sort of get into that like whole I'm Drew's gonna be a sellout now for his music like he's gonna sacrifice what he wanted to do and sacrifice his art to become a sellout in a boy band right that's a that's a safe right. we can and move right we along we're not missing anything <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> And how we get there is that while, um, so Sherry is a huge fan of Stacey Jacks, and all ones in this world, whenever they see Tom Cruise, who's Stacey Jacks, they immediately faint or, like, can't control themselves and, like, need to touch him. He has, like, this kind of sex aura <laughs> that, like, magnetizes women. Like, like nobody can resist him. Yeah. So uh, she, we see that she's into him. She faints, and he's like, hey, girl, go get me some scotch because I'm out of scotch. And she's like, okay. <laughs> so she goes to Limo, and she gets the scotch. And meanwhile, he's having a uh, interview with this reporter, Constance Sack, played by Malin Ackerman, a reporter for the Rolling Stone. Yep. And he's kind of blowing her off, and she's like, "What do you think is gonna happen? Like when you can't get rid of Stacy Jess, you're stuck being this rock and roll persona because you've alienated everything in your life." Oh boy. And he does this whole number. Uh, um, I'm a cowboy. This was he does, so. I'm wanted, dead or alive. And um, she continues to lash out at him, but eventually gets to this point where uh, she, she's like, you don't have love in your life. And he's like, I don't. I just have sex. But <laughs> I do want to love. And she's like, I could love you. And it's like, why? What, what turn happened to make you be yelling at this guy and then into him? And I get that he has the sex magnet aura, but like, what? I don't understand how you're being different than a groupie. But he essentially confesses that the reason why... Stacy has to keep being Stacy is that he's looking for that one pure song. And then they sleep together. She's really embarrassed because she was supposed to be a journalist and she ducks out. But, uh, and Sherry comes back with a bottle of scotch, but she drops it. And uh, Stacy has to go try to get after Constance, but he's not quick enough. And he helps Sherry with the bottle and she leaves. And so Drew sees her leaving his room and oh, yeah. Stacy Jack zipping up his pants. So he's like, you know what? My girlfriend is cheating on me. She's just, you know, she's a loose woman. And I'm not <laughs> going to take that. Classic mix-up. So, yeah. 
And like instead, I am going to play this show, melt people's faces, and yep. then immediately sell out to become part of a boy band. He melts face with his rock, charged by the fact that he thinks his girl cheated on him with sex god Stacy Jacks. And in a movie, uh, you know, littered with uncomfortable moments and scenes, uh, <laughs> I think it peaks. Uh, at my discomfort peaked at the Rolling Stone uh, interview where after we get the whole like want a dead or alive Bon Jovi shit and then we cut to like yeah like them like sort of like making love to the tune of like I want to know what love is and he's like mm-hmm. he's, like he's as close as my lips are to this microphone right now very close <laughs> do you do you hear how close they are like <laughs> that's how close he is to like her ass like he strips her yeah. down to her bra and underwear and he's like up close singing like straight to her ass like I want to know what love is and I'm like yeah. so they definitely had sex right I'm not inferring that like I think it's safe <laughs> to assume like anytime and you know this goes back to me like being confused by the timelines and the realities of, of the musical world versus the <laughs> actual world this movie I should just accept is <laughs> as shallow as it comes like it's not that deep I yeah. shouldn't I shouldn't think that deep into things and when I stop doing that uh, I think I'm able to enjoy it a lot more, so I'm just gonna shut. I'm just gonna shut the fuck up when it comes to that. But very uncomfortable, like to the point where like it crosses the line of like comedically uncomfortable, and then just makes me uncomfortable, uncomfortable. <laughs> and I don't know why. Like I'm not some I'm not some sheltered boy. Like I've I've, se- I've I've seen the world, damn it. But I've never seen Tom Cruise up close to what's uh the Constance. Constance Sack is that her name? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. man! Well, he's constantly up close to her sack. All right, yeah. best I got. Okay. She also tongues his ear, which is um. She does tongue his ear. That, wow! That, I gotta admit yeah. that that I was into. Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that part. I, I screenshotted that one. <laughs> it is now the wallpaper for my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> We, we go through all of that, and now uh, Drew is going to sell out, and Sherry, and he's being really cold to Sherry because he, he thinks that she cheated on him, but God forbid they actually talk about it. Yeah, so, no. Uh, yeah, no. Why would they confirm? <laughs> I'm just going to assume that this girl that was the love of my life cheated on me in cold blood. <laughs> Onward to boy band fan, fandom and fame. Yeah. And she's like, well, that didn't work out, so I'm going to quit my job, and I'm just going to become a stripper. And granted, she does try to get regular jobs, and it doesn't pan out because I guess she's not voluptuous enough. But then why be a stripper? I don't understand. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. No, not only, and like, I don't know, in a movie that's rated R and gets away with a lot of things, I was like, is this a strip club? Or is this like a classy like dance club where, is it like Playboy for the few months where they're like, we don't show naked women anymore? And it was just kind of like, a, like a, a a club where pretty women dance but fully clothed because none of them were naked they were just scantily clad like they were less naked than uh constant sack in the previous <laughs> so so i was like is this she jumps is she a stripper or she's a dancer or so it is stripper you're confirming yeah she she's a stripper and they they oh gosh they, they do this whole montage where they're uh mirroring Sherry becoming a stripper to Drew selling out. They're both whoring themselves out from and yep. getting away from their original dreams yep. during a montage. And it's all set to any way you want it by journey. <laughs> and it's 
what really peaks for me is during the montage, all these strippers are dancing and Sherry's beginning to be like, all right, I guess I'll just strip. And there are these businessmen that make it rain like crazy as these women are dancing. And I laugh every time. <laughs> and not, and so not long after this, we're, um, we're given the background on Patricia Whitmore and we're given the true nature of her Stacey Jack's hatred and her vendetta against rock and roll and its culture. And it didn't take it, you know, it didn't take a fucking detective to figure this one out. Spoiler, they boned like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, why would she have so much hatred for, you know, Stacey Jack's and all this? It's because she's, obsessed with Stacy Jacks. She was formerly a groupie of Stacy Jacks and she tells it in like a third person scenario to her husband, like my friend like did all this. And that was you weren't wrong. Like she she chews up scenery a lot and that was a very funny scene where she's kinda like, Yeah, my friend did this and went back to his hotel room and for the first time she felt like a woman. <laughs> Sure, a woman covered in Cool Whip and wild turkey, but a woman. <laughs> that is, oh, thank you for remembering that. I should have wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And, you know, the way, when I started watching uh, this movie and we got about five minutes deep and I started drinking, that is the way to watch it. Because if you, if you mm-hmm. nail it, if you nail it exactly right, you, uh, <laughs> you end up drinking like your third beer right about the time we get Russell Brand consoling <laughs> Alec Baldwin about oh, yeah. Okay. So right when you get there you're like, "Well, this is exactly where I need this movie to be." <laughs> and we've got Russell Brand and he's like, "They're best friends, you know." And it, uh, for a long time the relationship sort of seems like Russell Brand has his uh spunky sort of lackey to Alec Baldwin's mm-hmm. like sort of uh you know, stone-faced leader of the bourbon. And uh he's like, "Hey, it's okay." Like, you know, kind of putting his arm around his shoulder about their less than reputable tax evading history. And uh, mm-hmm. then I can't fight this feeling anymore starts to swell up. And I'm like, ooh, what do we got here? <laughs> and uh, and they sort of like reveal. Well, first, Russell Brand reveals his love for Alec Baldwin. And he's like, I- I've been here the whole time. And uh, at first, he's kind of, you know, he's putting his soul out there on the line. And Alec Baldwin's kind of being uh, coy. And then Alec Baldwin gives the lyrics back, like the next verse of I Can't Fight This Feeling Anymore. <laughs> And uh, and like Russell Brand's like, don't fuck with me right now. Like, is this real? And in fact, it is real. Uh, the 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 uh, purest the purest love story of the entire movie, I would say. Uh, so not only is what it I, what I love about this movie, yeah. what I love about this whole thing is that so in the beginning, it's kind of like at the very beginning of this movie. If if you're like paying attention, you watch it like five thousand times, like I have at this point. There's this part at the beginning where uh, Russell Brand has this sign for this bathroom sign, and he's kind of like rubbing the male crotch of the sign. Oh, yeah. So they're kind of <laughs> okay. hitting at it super early. And then when we get to this montage, and, and then they have this whole thing where like they're having a I Love Rock and Roll song mixed up with a Jukebox Hero, and Alec Baldwin and Russell Brand have their kind of like head down, and they get a little bit too close, and then they part. But you just assume that it's like a no homo kind of situation. Right, right, of course. And like, I've seen that before. But then this scene happens, and then suddenly there's a montage where they're like on a merry-go-round eating cotton candy. The montage and- is hilarious. The montage is so fucking funny. What is the other stuff? Uh, They're on like a merry-go-round like eating cotton candy. And there's all this other stuff. God, do you remember any others? Because I was freaking out during this. <laughs> 
boardwalk, like holding hands, and it's, it's just beautiful. <laughs> it it's is. And so... at some point, like holding hands. Yes, it's like it's so pure, and like Alec Baldwin is being like the faces he's making are like he looks so like so sweet and happy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all just it's like so awesome. it is and it's quite a rendition of they're all just like I can't fight this feeling anymore but it's way more auto-tuned than that right like they're both like <laughs> super auto-tuny and I don't know I would I think Russell Brand is a good singer because he did the infant sorrow music for forgetting Sarah Marshall and get into the Greek so I don't know if they had to auto-tune him up as much but Alec Baldwin definitely gained something <laughs> from that auto-tune <laughs> because oh, yeah for sure he needed he needed some help in the vocal department with that gravelly voice mm-hmm. of his and his like oh god just everything about that was the peak of the film for me because <laughs> because <laughs> anytime like I said anytime Russell Brand's on screen it's hilarious and they just took it to the next level like like I said it definitely has the most resolution I think of any of the subplots uh, those guys are are bros and they're more than bros. <laughs> and, and they make out they definitely make out they make out passionately mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so now it's a good time oh god it's such a good time <laughs> just because i didn't read into it i didn't see those things that you pointed to it wasn't like i don't know why it wasn't overt to me because i'm like well everybody seems kind of friendly in this movie with one another like everybody because i mean it's like it's very theatrical in that like we're all dancing and moving with one another and we're all grinding and stuff and we're all best friends and now we're enemies and I thought everything was dialed to 11 so nothing stood out to me so when it finally <laughs> happened I was like forced to reconsider and I'm like ah that makes sense good good job good job <laughs> so what's what's interesting is I actually saw a Broadway or not on Broadway but I saw a production of the musical and uh, they cut this whole or I, I thought that this part might not have been in the original musical because it wasn't in the show that I saw, but I was actually listening uh, to the original Broadway cast recording in preparation for this podcast. And they do actually, that apparently was in the original show. I just must've seen the no homo Portland version. Yeah. You went to the Puritan version in Portland where they're like, (laughs) well, we'll have none of that. And the show was actually only like 26 minutes long. (laughs) 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 Cause if you're watching this, if you're watching this movie uh, and you oppose uh lifestyles other than heterosexuality you might be in the wrong place fam this movie's probably not for you probably not (laughs) speaking of heterosexuality so sherry and drew uh meet up later at the hollywood sign Mm -hmm. and they both have to kind of like reveal their current occupations and that things hadn't exactly turned out the way that they planned and sherry tells drew that you know hey man i didn't sleep with stacy and he, that completely blows his mind. He's, he's like, what? But I've lived I this saw whole you life. leave. And she's like, <laughs> people leave other people's rooms all the time. You freak. Yeah. You hyper-masculine freak. Uh, and she's like, I'm just going to go back home to Oklahoma. And I've had it. I don't want to be a stripper anymore. And that's that. Aside from the stripperness, though, still like the exact plot of La La Land. Like, I'm just, yeah. just throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. She's going back to Boulder City right about now. So let's. Uh, yeah. I hope somebody. I want to do like a like a YouTube video comparison. Maybe we can branch out and do something because. Oh, I would is, love that. Just that saying. So just saying. I wonder if Damien Chazelle was in a theater watching Rock of Ages, and he's like, one day, one day they'll get my version, <laughs> the jazz version of Rock of Ages. Oh god, I would see that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, that'd be fun. I would too. If I could get if I could get just a little bit more of like if I could just implant Russell Brand and Alec Baldwin making out in, you know, most <laughs> movies I see, I'd get a good kick out of it. 
I got I got to admit <laughs> them eating ice cream on the boardwalk and shit. Oh, yeah, they did eat ice cream. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Yeah, so they meet again, uh, Sherry and Drew, and she's like, I'm a stripper at the Venus now, and he's in a boy band, and, you know, she reveals what we already knew. She, I didn't sleep with Stacy, fucko. And uh, then Drew sends Sherry a present, which is, like, one of the nice, like, uh, one of the one of the better story beats, I think, of the movie in terms of callback For and sure. recognizing that this story should, in fact, have a structure, which oftentimes it feels mm-hmm. quite aimless. Uh, mm-hmm. He sends her a present. He goes to a record store and he buys uh, new copies of all the records she had stolen originally. And that is a very sweet oh, gesture. Oh, no, no. Dude, those were her original records. How the fuck are they her original records at the store? Because they have her name on them. At the beginning of the movie, they oh, she, for whatever reason, signs all her records Sherry. Okay. And he finds them all at the record store. And that's why he buys all of them. Well, you know what? I was already complimenting it. So you can't get me there. It's a great story beat. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I get it, Katie. It was a good story beat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're right. Okay, well, nonetheless, the record, <laughs> the records, apparently in their original form, are given back. <laughs> are given back, and like I said, a, a nicer, a nicer moment to sort of uh, tie things up with their uh, just tragically underdeveloped storyline <laughs> with one another. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, another hilarious moment we get. R- directly after is uh will forte is a, is a through line as the news reporter in this movie like uh like co- doing coverage and all like the uh the uh the picketing against stacy jacks and picketing against the bourbon and we don't want the show to happen and there's all these like nuns and churchgoers all le- led with uh patricia whitmore at the helm and across the street uh from them is the bourbon and all these rockers led by like russell brand and uh you know like you're never going to take rock like this is our rock and roll is our life and everything else. And they start this medley of uh, the churchgoers led by Patricia are all like doing the we're not going to take it. <laughs> and like Russell Brand and them are like doing the we built this city <laughs> and, uh, and they're going back and forth. And whoever thought how beautifully those two would overlap like what great great medley guys great mashup <laughs> um but will will forte is like like trying to jog back and forth to both sides as they fire back to one another like so he's like running like left and right across the street trying to like get both of them on mic <laughs> it was really fucking funny <laughs> and uh eventually at the end of that whole medley Right, like, well, Stacy, Stacy, Jax, and Patricia Whitmore meet again finally, and the first thing he says is like, "Your tits have held up nice," and I'm like, "Cool, <laughs> very Stacy Jax of you," and uh, Russell Brand sort of outs her as a former uh, Arsenal slash Stacy Jax groupie, right? Mm-hmm. And he's all like, "Look, it's the she mayor's wife." He was on the wife. cover of a uh, record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, "This is our Watergate. Rock lives on," <laughs> and. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna. I'm gonna back up on what I said because I said we already had the most uncomfortable uh, uh, moment of the movie. But maybe oh, I lied. Yeah. Maybe I go. lied. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Go for it. The uh, are you talking about? Okay, so Stacy realizes that he has feelings for Constance, and he calls the Rolling Stones, and he gets T.J. Miller, and mm, who says sweetheart. like, <laughs> and he's like, she's covering Stacy Jackson's show at the Bourbon Room, and he's like, I have a show. So he goes to the bourbon room to perform the show, gives uh, Dennis the money that his manager, Paul Giamatti, stole from him. And he's uh, gearing it up when he runs into Constance and he's like, I, I, you, he points to her across the room and he's like, you, and all these women, as he's trying to get to her, are throwing themselves at him and he's making out with them. 
but still looking at her, which is a really interesting character yeah, moment. Yeah, they give like and a nod to each other. Like she's like, I accept this has to happen. It's just normal. It's normal <laughs> fare. And he's like, well, I have to. Ma- if I'm gonna, if I'm Stacy Jacks, I'm gonna make out with these groupies along the way toward you. Like I'm at least gonna, you know, give him the Stacy Jacks experience. So he's just like tongue tying <laughs> these ladies, <laughs> and she's and like they just patiently fade and waiting. It, it, <laughs> he's just leaving women in his path. And finally, he gets to her, and he's like, "Open your mouth." It's like, what why? the fuck? And she does. And it's like a really awkward long beat. And then he makes that with her. And then they have sex in the bathroom. And uh, they break multiple windows. Yeah. And other things in that very rundown bathroom. <laughs> God only knows the amount of sex that's gone down in that bathroom in the span of the bourbon being open. But mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, when he's like, open your mouth, and she just like slowly opens it wider and wider, <laughs> and then he just like yeah. fully shoves his tongue in her mouth. I was just like, God damn it. Like at, at, at certain <laughs> points in this movie, I was like damning you for making me watch it, and then at other points uh, of this movie, I'm like, fuck, she's a genius. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, is this movie, this movie is like comedic gold. Like it's so weird and a little sad that so many people won't see this movie because of what it is on the surface cuz underneath all the bullshit at its core this movie is fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's really 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 funny. And I don't and honestly like I feel like I don't laugh out loud at movies a lot. Like I have to really be caught off guard and this movie is king of catching me off guard with weird shit. <laughs> cuz we, we have a moment moment not long after where uh Alec Baldwin's like talking to Russell Brand and he's like all in awe and he's like I just threw up and Russell Brand's like where and he's like in my pants out of my ass (laughs) 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 so Drew and his shitty boy band which do you remember the name it was something stupid as fuck the Z guy double the Z double the flavor (laughs) say it one more time please the Z guys, double the Z, double the flavor. Very oh, early nineties. Good, good, good. And uh, he reunites with Sherry, and uh, he takes a stand for rock and roll. He's like, "Fuck this corporate shit. I'm done being a sellout." And uh, you know, Paul. Uh, or wait, is it Paul who declares rock is dead? I'm confused in my notes here. Oh yeah, it is Paul. It is Paul. The shitty yeah, Paul Giamatti asshole like manager. He like declares like Rock is dead. And then Hey Man, the hero of the movie, Hey <laughs> Hey Man the monkey comes out of nowhere and just knocks his punk ass out. <laughs> and it's like, okay, here we go. We get to the big song where where, you know, Sherry and Drew sing the song he wrote for. And again, it's Don't Stop Believing, which Drew, mm-hmm. you didn't write this, man. Like, I, I'm sorry, like I'm all for you. Well, we can rewrite history all we want, but how dare you? How dare you spit on the name of Journey and claim their fame as your own? <laughs> what the fuck? You know what I mean? But but it's such a what I love about it is that you know the, have you ever seen the list of like songs that get white people turned? Yes, and the, the, it is king. And it is king. It, it's always number one. Like that's the one that's like if if we have an anthem, it's that one. Yeah. And when they sing it at the end, it, it's enough that like Stacy Jacks, Tom Cruise, as he's having sex with Malin Ackerman opens the door and is like wait that's the special song that i've been searching for yeah it's like that back to the future moment like you know that new sound you've been looking for well listen to this (laughs) yeah and i I never thought about that comparison but it's very apt it's like the exact same thing (laughs) except for yeah you know what and i guess marty mcfly 
But you know what? Marty McFly is not an asshole, and he's not claiming to the to the 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 students at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance in 1955. He's not like, hey, I wrote this. He straight up says, where I'm from, this is an oldie. Like he's not claiming that he wrote it. Like Drew's punk ass. Like like <laughs> he, he's like respecting the material. Drew's like. This is my song that I wrote. I hope you guys like it. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, I've heard it a million times too because I'm white. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I thought that like not only was it the perfect, but it was the perfect song thematically uh, to describe the movie, especially when we get to the line where <laughs> it hits the line, the, oh, the movie never ends. It goes on and yeah. on and on. And I'm like, you are not wrong. How uh, this movie fucking goes on forever. <laughs> that is the that should be that should have been the that should have been the poster line. Like the movie never ends. It goes on and on and on. Perfect perfect line to describe the shit show. <laughs> Word. Oh man. And then of course we pan to years later, presumably in thankfully nineteen eighty nine or nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety. And Stacey Jackson Constance are a, a thing, and she's pregnant, and she's pointing to her pregnant belly as he's on stage. And Sherry and Drew get up, and they have 90s hair, or he has his regular hair back, and she has, like, straight 90s hair. And they're singing the song together, and it just all ends in a whole mishmash of, like, you got what you paid for. And they changed history, so now Journey doesn't exist, if I'm to believe Back to the Future rules, which I don't know why I keep going back to that, but now we're here. I'm in Back to the Future mode. Uh, yeah, and, you know, we end out to that very plucky montage of Don't Stop Believing and, like, you know, what else could you ask for <laughs> in Rock of Ages? <laughs> so, Katie, I want to put on our film critic hat for a second. Um, okay. Judging this as uh, a critic. Like, if you're, if you're like, talking about this movie for, you know, a, as, as its whole and not just for its parts, do you think it's a good movie? As a whole, absolutely not. It's a terrible movie. But we don't watch good movies on this show. We sure as fuck don't. But I wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted to hear you say it. I wanted to hear you say it. <laughs> okay. And but you know what about you know this? We're young in this podcast, and this is only episode four. Like, what about this movie? Like, made its way into our our first five. Like, you know, this is sort of like we're still getting traction and uh, figuring out the podcast and everything else. Like what made this uh, worthy of being only the fourth one we've ever talked about? What do you, what do you, what do you love about it? I love that it is this, I, I feel like while you're watching it, you're, you know that you're not watching a good movie, but you're watching people give 110% to these characters who know that it's totally stupid and are just having fun with it. And I think that that's what makes this movie really charming. Mm -hmm. It's terribly written, but boy, does it look like everybody's having a blast. They are. They're having so much fun. That, that, that cannot be denied. They're having a good ass time. And that was like something where like, if I'd get grumpy, like at a lull in this movie, which there aren't lots of them, but if I'd get grumpy, uh, I would just remind myself like, yo man, who are you to knock, any sort of filmmaking, especially a movie with such an ensemble cast. And a lot of people worked really hard on this. And that's something I try to think about a lot when I'm about to, you know, shit on something. You shouldn't just shit on something blindly. Yes, it's a bad movie, but there is something to be said about a filmmaking experience that seems as truly fun and effortless at times like this one does. Like, you know that Russell Brand and Alec Baldwin and Tom Cruise and Paul Giamatti and everybody else in the flick are having a blast. They're having so much fun because this is like as slapstick, tongue in cheek, like 
this is as funny as it gets. Like they know that this is not to be taken seriously. They're not like you know they're not hoping for an Oscar nom for doing Rock of Ages. They're here to have a good time while getting a little cheddar cheese on the side, a little paycheck. But they're there to have mm-hmm. a good time, and 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 it, and it you know that is something that radiates from the film as hard as it may be to watch at times as cringy and uncomfortable as it may be at times as poorly written as it is all the time it is uh <laughs> it is just fun and it's not a movie i would recommend to ever watch on your own and the only reason i was able to watch it on my own is because i was doing it uh for the pod and it made me feel like you were there spiritually with me watching it as well uh so i was like oh I'm I kate I was like, Katie, how fun is this right now? And I just like look over at an empty chair and I'm like, cool. And uh, (laughs) like, isn't this hilarious, Katie? This is three years ago and we're (laughs) we're in school. Um, And uh, so, yeah. And my, you know, my cats were into it. Uh, They Mm -hmm. both they both seem to dig it. But yeah, it's not a movie I would ever recommend to anybody to watch on their own. It's a movie I would recommend uh, watching with uh, two very important uh, elements to go along with it. I think you should have a drink. While you watch this mm-hmm. movie, Perha- multiple, perhaps, yeah, perhaps several, and I think the perfect way along with that is to watch it with a group of people because I kept thinking that like if we were hanging out with like five or six people drinking beers and watching this movie, it would have been the opposite like of how I felt like oh is this movie ever going to end it's so long I would have been like I never want this movie to end it's so hilarious <laughs> I'd have like look how much fun we're having camaraderie <laughs> like because it is definitely a movie that like. You could just you can make fun of uh, with people. Mm-hmm. You can enjoy it with a group of people. It's the movie like that would like very much plays to uh, a party atmosphere, like a drinking game atmosphere, to be sure. Absolutely, I my what I would wish on this movie so much is that it just becomes a cult classic. It's too long to become a cult classic, but I would love I would go to a midnight showing of this in a heartbeat and dress up in like big '80s clothes and drink a lot bunch and shout things at the screen it'd be a grand time i wouldn't even rule it out i don't you never know what's gonna you never in this generation and like our society and how fucking batshit like humor has become like you know what i mean like you never know if this is a thing that catches and i wouldn't say it's too long i consider and maybe i'm alone but i consider bvs to be uh, batman v superman to be a cult sort of movie and that movie is almost three hours long uh you know what i mean <laughs> and yeah. a lot of culty movies uh you know, have like sort of a long runtime. I don't think, I don't know if that's the thing that's going to hold it back. What I think may hold it back um, is something, I'm, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. I think something that maybe would make this a better film is if instead of just going for the low hanging fruit and doing like medleys and mashups and your own versions and takes of uh, songs that are already, you know, famous and, you know, beloved at a time and now at this point sort of uh well-worn i think Mm -hmm. if you do this sort of 80s movie um and kind of the same exact plot but you write your own original soundtrack i think i'm i think you know what i mean i think i'm way more inclined to be impressed by uh that aspect of it as a musical because anything i love about this movie isn't the music honestly i like musicals and these songs are fine but like those were the moments where i would like consider like a break from the movie and like oh cool i don't have to take notes right now and like what a night i wasn't like enjoying it for the music uh i think if you if you come to the table with um with like your own soundtrack and uh you know and a whole wholly original score then it becomes it becomes a whole other level of uh you know 
originality. It becomes a whole other level of uh, creativity on the filmmakers, on the writers, and it gives uh, it gives me something else, like another element to latch on to. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I would love original music from this world. It would just be totally nuts. Katie, we're... Like Steel Panther level, like, ridiculousness. (laughs) I have a, we're about to wrap up. I have a, I have a final thought that I, I, I think I should say one thing I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about was the jeans are very, very tight in the eighties. <laughs> like, like I'm watching drew at the beginning of the movie and I'm like, these, these are like certified, certified ball crushers. Like it's hard to believe that our parents lived through that era stylistically. And like, we're still able to conceive like simply because of the sheer tightness of the pants seems borderline sterilizing. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I couldn't in a million years, if I had to wear Drew's jeans at the, like the way he's wearing at the beginning of the movie and then get on the train and ride home, I think that I would black out due to sheer like stress on my gonads. <laughs> That's your final thought. Yeah, it's my final thought. I, I was looking. I mean, there's a lot of balls in this movie, and <laughs> and they're being crushed. Something to think about yep. moving forward. Concrete yep. balls. Anything for you? Final thoughts? Wrapping up Rock of Ages. I'm just so glad you watched this movie. <laughs> this is something that I try to convince people to watch, and they're just they never want to see it for good reason. But those that I have shown it to always have like, except for my old man. Everybody else, though, has had, like, this kind of grudging affection for it, and and I think that's the right way to have a relationship with this film. Hey, anything... Grudging affection. Anything for you, Strawberry Groat Singer. Anything for Bad Movie Brunch. Anything for anybody who's ever going to listen to this. Um, I'll take... I'll watch anything. And you know what? I can usually find something to like about any movie, even if it's a shit show like Rock of Ages. So that's us wrapping up another week, episode four of Bad Movie Brunch in the books. I've been Luke Taylor. I've been Katie Grossinger. We'll see you all next week. We love you. Have a good one, guys. Rock on. Oh, nice. I like that. <laughs> <laughs>